How's everybody doing? It's good to see. Hey. Uh, I could do this all morning, just clapping and pointing and smiling. Well, my name's Josh. I used to be a pastor here, and then a pandemic hit, and then I vanished midair, and I moved away to plant a church. But I am here, like Luke said, as my last message. This message I actually wrote in my head probably seven years ago. I just kind of was daydreaming one time, like, if I left and I was able to kind of say everything I've been wanting to say, what would I say? And there's kind of two sides of that coin. A prophetic, like, gateway, here's where you need to get your act together. Here's what I need to say. Uh, but I'm asking for money today, so that's not the message. <laughs> but honestly, the, like, I just, you know, my parents were here the first service. Like, everything that I think I've said to my mom and dad, but I probably haven't, in a full, like, they know what they mean to me sort of way. That's what this message is, is just, what's gateway mean to me? One man, so this isn't a preaching moment where I'm bringing some authority from Redemption Gateway. I'm a pastor at Redemption who gets to say what I love about this place, because it's been the best 10 years, I think, of my life, honestly. Three out of my four kids were born while I was here. Just, I got every opportunity in the world to develop and grow and fall more in love with Jesus and fall more in love with people, uh, which isn't a given in life, and it's just been a sweet season. So that's what today is. I'm just going to thank Redemption Gateway. Just a quick update, just so some of you asked, like, hey, what's going on? Well, we did move in the middle of all this. We, it was like April 1st. I'm like, we need to put our house on the market, and the realtor's like, ah, this thing's going to blow over, and you see his wisdom and discernment. It did not, but we still put the house on the market. We moved. Uh, we're camped out at the 51 in Cactus. We have a building location that we can rent for a while, 24th Street in Cactus, if that means anything to you. Uh, a little gateway tidbit is it's designed by the same architect. So it feels like if Gateway had a tiny little building baby, that's where we're going to be meeting at, which is kind of sweet, just like how God lined that up. So that's where we're meeting, and we'll start launch team training this fall. Actually, next Sunday, we're just going to kind of get together as a large group and just pray about what God has for us. So I'm very excited, and I'm very excited slash emotional about this message. Um, it's kind of like Chandler, the worship guy, just proposed. It's, it feels like that moment that you, you've worked through in your head a bunch. Like, this is how I want this to feel. Um, I've worked through this message so many times, and I preached it already once at the first service. I don't want to preach it again, but I, I want you to know how I feel about this place, um, which I think is a honest assessment of this place because I've been seeing it from every angle. I know the ins and outs and it's just a great place. So that's what we're doing today. And I just want to use this passage not to preach or teach or to dissect Greek words, but just to kind of springboard us into what I'm talking about. So Romans there says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That's what I'm talking about today. That verse coming true and real and alive here in this place for me. Because it comes, Romans, we taught Romans years ago. And it's this theological 
uh, manifesto. It is just a mighty book written by the Apostle Paul. And the first 11 chapters are theology, theology, God and Israel and salvation and God's plan for the world and election and all these huge, weighty, mighty things. And then chapter 12 comes and it says, therefore, and Luke tells you all the time, what's the therefore? It's therefore because now Paul is switching. Now what does this theology do in the life of a person that meets God? It changes you. Romans 12.1, you are now a living sacrifice. Your life is the worship act for God. And then very quickly after there, it gets into this, individual members of one another. Paul does not go far in his application of Christian theology before he hunkers down in the local church. So in this season where it's just wonky and churches are just kind of licking their wounds and trying to refigure out who they are, like post, mid-COVID, whatever, it still matters. The local church is still the hope of the world. It is still the vessel by which God is going to bring good news into this place. So it matters. And it doesn't matter in the academic sense. Let's talk about it off at a coffee shop. It matters on the ground with the people in this room sitting in these seats. You all matter. And here's how I've just experienced this place over the last 10 years. I want to kind of just look at this place from different angles. Let's just kind of highlight something that I'm, somebody specifically that I'm thankful for. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, And the first one is this. I'm thankful for mentors committed to discipling other people's kids. Like, I love my plants. One of the bummers of moving is I moved into a yard with a bunch of rock, which some of you not great people like you like rocks and you like all that stuff I had a yard in Chandler with grass and I planted like 16 trees in my time there and I would just be in the backyard with my hose just watering trees the boys are going nuts inside Aubrey can't find me and I'm just in my sweet spot I love it. And I watched these Chinese elm become mature and I had to leave them and send them to some guy that I'm crossing my fingers he likes trees and he takes care of my stuff but I don't know Here's one thing I never do. I never go to my neighbors and say, I I just want to take care of your yard. I want to water your trees for you. Why? Because they don't benefit me. That's your job, dude. Jake, you get to work. Your trees are dead because of you. I like taking care of that which benefits me. And that's kind of what parenting is. Like, I take care of my kids for a lot of reasons. They whether adopted or foster or biological, they're, they're mine. And I, and I have long-term investment in them. And I'm going to be a part of their lives forever. Here's what's mind-boggling about this place. We have tons of mentors, some in this room, who sign up to water other people's trees, to spend big chunks of their time pouring into the lives of kids that are not their own. That is not normal. That doesn't happen. In this fast, consumeristic, selfish sort of world, nobody says, you know what I want to do in this little bit of margin I have left in my life? I'm going to take this little margin I have and I'm going to devote it to 14-year-old boys (laughs) that aren't my own. Nobody does that. And yet it happens here, like regularly. It's just part of the culture. Like I, I meet with other churches and I always ask, this is kind of the one time I 
size people up. I was asked about their student ministry and how big it is. Just to kind of, how are we doing at Gateway? I met with a North Phoenix pastor who has a church bigger than ours. And I said, oh, how's student ministry? Oh, it's good. It's like, and the number he said is like a third of ours. And I start, start to dig. And here's what happens every time. The thing that I dig for, I always find. The thing, the, the, the secret sauce is consistent adults in the lives of young people. If the church has that, they've got a vibrant ministry to the next generation. If the church struggles with that, they do their best they can. Gateway has this vibrant ministry to young people. And it's because adults in this room say, you know what I'm going to do with my time? I'm going to devote it to other people's trees. That only happens by the Spirit of God. Because you've experienced the grace given to you that you don't deserve, that you'd be willing to do that. And it's just a beautiful thing. And I, I mean, I've said my goodbyes to my mentors, but I just wanted to start with the people that just make this place really sweet when you dig into it. People who want to disciple other people's kids. Here's a verse I want to read. I'm going to read a verse after I talk about each person. But this is Paul. There's kind of a little church spat. People are kind of fighting about who should get credit for what. And Paul's kind of, this is how he squashes them. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. And what we have here is people who are planting and watering plants, trees, people, young people's lives that they may never see the end result of. Why? They've met Jesus. Jesus makes you do crazy things. Here's what I, my thank you to the mentors. Thank you for jumping in without having all the answers. That's one of the biggest hiccups with adults is I, I don't know how to talk to teens. And nobody does. Teens don't know how to talk to teens. Like, <laughs> that's just what that stage of life is. You jump in, you'll figure it out. Or you'll die trying. Thank you <laughs> for not sitting back. Lots of people are waiting for a spot to step into. And a lot of these mentors just said, what am I waiting for? And they jumped in. Thank you for serving side by side in this ministry with me for all these years. It's so hard leaving this place because of people I've served alongside. Thank you for making this place a place that young people, my kids especially, never want to leave. We got our kids up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Why? Because they're going to Gateway. No complaints. They love this place. Why? Because my preaching's great? No, they don't listen to my preaching. They don't care. Because the building, eh. Because people here see them and know them and love them. Not because they're pastor's kids, just because they're kids. And there's adults here who want to love other people's kids and thank you for sacrificing short-term comfort for eternal gains we all have limited time resources some of you have decided to use that limited resources on this thing this sweet thing called discipling young people and you will be rewarded god promises it the end of that first corinthians passage i read this is how paul summarizes this is his uh, exclamation of motivation on why we should plant and water and want to be in the life of the church. He says, he who plants and he who waters are one. I mean, they come from the same source, they're doing the same thing. And each one will receive his wages according to his labor. What's Paul saying? Whatever you're doing, wherever you're watering, wherever you're investing, 
God is watching. And he will give you what you deserve. We need some solid motivation. Mentors, God is watching. He will reward you. Here's the next person I want to thank, or type of person. And I had kind of worked on this a lot. This was my rough draft a lot, but they all sounded kind of offensive. So this is the best I could say without any offense, I think. I'm thankful for young, developing leaders who aren't at halftime yet. Like in the area, I'm meeting with all the church leaders, all the, trying to get a feel for all the church cultures, and there's not like a guarantee. Actually, it's, it's almost a minority among churches who actually have young, developing leaders that are substantial parts of the church. It, they kind of start to sway in age, and then they kind of are looking around and saying, all right, what do we do now? This place has all these young, developing leaders, on staff, not on staff. And it's just a great thing, and I'm thankful. I was, I'm that. I'm still in that camp. But I want to ask you, just to kind of frame, well, am I in the young developing leader category? If you're balding and you got gray in your beard, is he, am I still? So we had this guy come in to the pastor's training, probably, it was, I think, right before COVID, February or something like that. And he, he's a life coach, life mentor, he's coached all these leaders and executives. And he was just trying to give us perspective on life. And he said, he asked the question, what do you think is the most productive decade of your life? In general, as we pull the data and look, what's the most productive decade of your life? And me being a 30-something-year-old thought, you're looking at him. <laughs> and he said, the number one most productive decade of your life is your 60s. And in that room, we had maybe two people in their 60s. So, all right, what do you think is the second most productive decade in your life? Well, you're, you were looking at it the first time, but <laughs> 70s. And he goes on to talk, and he's just redefining success and productivity and faithfulness in this world that has a really goofy answer to that. He said, all right, what's the third most productive decade of your life? 50s. Raise your hand if I did not call on you in any of those decades. Hands up high. Look at this unproductive bunch in this. <laughs> like, what are you doing with your lives? Get your act together. It was so fascinating for me as somebody thinking like, I'm entering the prime of getting stuff done in this life. I think we all kind of have some sort of like really sharp bell curve to life. Like you're heading and you get this prime somewhere like when 30s, 40s, maybes, and then it's just everything's downhill. I mean, that's what we say, over the hill. Like it's, that's life. And this guy's saying, no, no, no. The way God sees faithfulness and you being able to use your resources and your wisdom and all this collective knowledge and experience you have, this is how life shapes out. So let's go on to the fourth most productive decade is your 40s. I think Simmons is 40 or 41. So you are being led by somebody who's not even in the top three of success <laughs> and productivity in life. You got a lower tier leader there. <laughs> All right, what's the fifth? Come on, dude. I've been here this whole time. 30s, finally. Top five, baby. <laughs> now just raise your hand if you're still not on any of those lists. 
Hands up high. Not even cracking the top five. <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you make of that? You could say, ah, this is one guy. It's, well, I don't, it feels biblical. It feels like what the book of Proverbs is trying to get us to understand. So what do we make of a church then that has a bunch of 20-something-year-olds who are giving more and more empowerment to do and lead ministry here? Have we lost our biblical stance on maturity and character? Redemption Church, at its core, you slice it up and you dissect it and you look at it. It's about this. It's about discipleship and it's about leadership development, period. Those things, discipleship, and they're not mutually exclusive. Discipleship, leadership development. Discipleship, leadership development. Here's where churches kind of lose sight of it. Like, that leadership development piece is not a given. And there's not a lot written to, like, program that into your church. So it's got to be a conviction from your heart to actually empower like, I think you, Gateway's maybe hired a couple of people since I left, and I'm guessing their average age is like 12 or something. They're, they're like 20-something. Like, there's no rule book. All right, your next hire needs to be your median age on the elder board, your pastor. Uh, you're trying to be faithful to what Scripture says, but I think faithfulness includes leadership development, and especially empowering these young developing leaders, me included. The last 10 years have been the best years of my life. The last 10 years have also included me getting kicked and exposed and walking in messes that I've made more than I'd like to admit. So a lot of churches know that. So they're like, ah, let's avoid that. This church dove headfirst into this idiot and started to empower me. Like, when did I reach sufficiency for pastoring? But Gateway is committed to young, developing leaders. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's a scary thing. Recently, I met with this pastor who's kind of this developer of young leaders. And we we were trying to create an intern program. And we're like, yeah, we want to invest in the next generation. We want an internship program. We meet him at Culver's. Like, all right, tell us what to do. He's like, all right, before we go any further, any programs, any papers, just know this. If you're going to do this, you must embrace the suck. And we're like... He's like, if you really want to invest in like 20-something-year-olds, you have to take on the motto, embrace the suck. That's not a very gracious thing to say, but it's a guy that's been doing it well. The book of Proverbs has another way to say it that I think is a little more poetic. We'll say it this way. Here's what Proverbs says. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. Translation, if you want cleanliness... And people without strong flinches that need to be sanded down, then just don't invest in leadership development. But if you want crops, if you want fruit, if you want influence, if you want to invest in this generation and the next and pour them out and empower the next generation of leaders, you are going to have a messy, messy, messy manger. Do you want that? A lot of churches say, ah, I like being around people kind of who are as wise as me. I'm tired of listening to a 20-year-old pop off. Just as that 20-year-old who was popping off, I appreciate that this place sticks with it and pours into the next generation and does it graciously and wisely. I wrote this down for young leaders. Thank you for keeping this place lively. 
Like, there's just a passion you all bring. Thank you for being passionate about ministry and leadership at a young age. That's not a given. You have all these callings to think about. And ministry is not the holy, highest priority calling in the world. But to give yourself to ministry and to serving others is a great calling. And the fact that you're doing that in 20s, that's incredible. Thank you for trusting the process of leadership development. It is not an easy road. Like I said, the hardest 10 years of my life were here. The greatest 10 years of my life so far have been here. What made it hard? I did. It's trust the process. And thank you, and I'm just going to, this is a thank you and a reminder. Don't take yourselves too serious. Like, holy smokes, do we live in a world where everybody is taking themselves so serious? 20-something-year-olds, 30-something. Don't buy into that. Don't take yourself too serious. God sees you. He sees you working. He's with you. Have the big things in place. Redemption Gateway, thank you for being a place that's okay with a dirty manger. A lot of which of the dirt and mess came from me and others like me. So thank you for being faithful. Here's the third person I want to thank. And this isn't a group of people. This is just one specific person. A leader who can take a punch. How many of you guys like boxing? I asked the first service and like two hands came up. Any boxing fans? I love boxing. I used to watch boxing all the time. And my wife said, you, sh- you could maybe explain what it means to take a punch. So like imagine somebody punching you in the face and you took it. You're like, all right, I'm back. That's what taking a punch. You can get hit and you're back in it. I remember when CrossFit was like starting to take off and I was at my buddy's house. His dad's a boxing instructor and we're all talking about CrossFit and yeah, I can power whatever, whatever you lift Seth disciples do of like, <laughs> I can lift 15,000 pounds and, and good old Ray Luna standing there, big old dude just says, yeah, but can you take a punch? There's a way to measure toughness and weight lifted and there's a way to measure toughness in the ability to take a punch. What does it mean that we have a leader here that can take a punch? Luke Simmons. Luke Dean Simmons can take a punch. I don't know if he can take an actual physical punch. I've never seen him in a fight. <laughs> but any leader who wants to do anything significant is going to take punches. Anybody who wants to follow Jesus in this world and do something with their life and follow him in the good season and in the hard is gonna take punches. And any church that's ever gonna be healthy and thriving and flourishing and benefiting the community it's in, you dig down deep and here's what you're gonna find. There is a leader or leaders who can take punches. Like Luke Simmons is like the Muhammad Ali of pastoring. You all see Muhammad Ali is this great, you say, who's the greatest boxer of all time? People don't even know boxing. Uh, this guy, Mike Tyson, and maybe Muhammad Ali. Those, and you'd be right. Why? Because Muhammad Ali could dance, he could punch, he hit hard, he could knock you out, he could dodge. He was everything great a boxer is supposed to be. But he also had this secret gift. I was watching ESPN Classics one time on the best chins in boxing. That's a way to say you can take a punch. And Muhammad Ali was one of the top three lists of 100 best chins ever in boxing. So like a lot of us look at Luke, me included, and we see, gosh, he can lead, he can teach. 
Man, he preaches and he makes the Bible come alive to me. He's pastored me. He organized. Those of you that get really close to him, man, he is an organizational genius. He builds teams. Look at, he planted this thing and look at this thing now. And he does all that. And now he's like a podcast. He has 46 podcasts or something that started since the pandemic. And he's got a Christmas album coming out. He, I mean, he can do it all everything and yet the thing I got into the inner chambers and I've done ministry alongside him and he takes punches and he's taking punches everybody's got great thoughts on how leaders should be doing it different and the frail leaders are the ones that let it sink in and crumble them or they respond in anger the Jesus-like leaders are the ones who can sit and listen and take it and not respond theologically this is what is said about Jesus in the book of first Peter what does Peter say about the leadership of Jesus what was Jesus like when stuff was pressing all around him 1 Peter 2 says this, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Translation, Jesus could take a punch. Dig down deeper, the healing of the world, the salvation of this place, the possibility of redemption and restoration brought to this broken, rebellious, sinful world. How does it enter into this place? With some man coming down, letting everyone know how it is? Be a man. It comes with this man. Naked, reviled. He did not revile in return. He did not open his mouth. And every single accusation against Jesus made was false we benefit a ton as being a part of Redemption Gateway and I just want you to know that from my vantage point we benefit from a man who when reviled will not revile and that's not a given especially in this day and age like, Luke is a man. And you hear, be a man. You want, we want men. And what comes to mind? Oh, we drink black coffee, steaming hot, it burns my throat. <laughs> and bourbon, so strong, it burns, singes my nose hairs. And I wear camouflage everywhere. All those, fine. I like to wear camouflage. But you want to see a man. You look at Jesus on the cross. When he was riled, he did not revile. In Redemption Gateway, you have a man who leads this place. Luke Simmons is a great leader. And he's a great man. And what I've seen, he can take a punch. He's taking punches for me, for us, 
brothers, for other leaders, for those 20-something-year-olds. And what's he do? When reviled, he does not revile in return. Why? Because he is like Jesus. He's not Jesus. Thanks, Nikki Reeves. So, Simmons, I don't know where you're at, but I love you, and I thank you, and I've learned a lot just from watching you. And podcast away, but your backbone and your spine, I hope to take with me to North Mountain. The last one is this. I'm thankful for joyful, selfless older women serving behind the scenes in this place. Like, I could list a lot. I mean, they're just kind of everywhere. Kind of like Natsuki kids. Everywhere you turn, there's like... (laughs) There's another one of them. You got Sandy here, you got Pat, you got Barbara, you got Jane. I got a picture of a few of the ladies that have become near and dear to me. There's Linda Hankins, watching from home. And that knucklehead's Jude. You got Diane Chan. You got, who was the next one? We got Patty Vickers, Joanne Stater, Chris Murphy, Elaine McIntyre. Like, when I cry big tears, it's for Simmons and his care for me, but it's those ladies because that's not a given either you can get people who serve without the joy you can get older people who just bow out because they've done their deal but to get joyful selfless servants at this place that's a gift from the Lord I just want to tell these ladies you are the foundation the walls to this place I may get a lot of credit and leaders that have more stage presence, but you are the foundation and the walls. You have built this place. You are the anchor to this place. This passage in Hebrews talks about what Jesus says. He is the anchor to our soul. And I feel like the anchor to the soul of this place is those ladies. This place is not what it is without them. They are the anchor here. And I just... Tim Mon is a leader at Redemption Gilbert, and this is a thing he has to tell us young guys a lot, and I don't think these ladies ever need to hear this, because they're already living what Tim's trying to get us to figure out. Tim says, you got to fight to be small. Fight to be small. Fight to be small. What's his point? We live in this world that we want to be seen and known and recognized and appreciated. And Tim's like, fight to be small. Young men, you have all this ambition and all this desire, and it's got wonky motivations. Fight to be small. Do the little things behind closed doors that need to be done. Why? Because that is faithfulness. And we have that happening all the time here with these ladies as the prime example. Like I thought, how much do I want to preach hard stuff In a sermon, I'm asking for a lot of money. This will be the the only thing I say. Like maybe this world we live in that assumes that all of our opinions should be shared and our assessment of all the problems and all the solutions and all of our assessment of other people's assessment of the problems and solutions need to be perpetually placed before the watching world through various channels. You might know of these things. And that is how this world is going to get to be a better place. Maybe, just maybe, that's not working. Maybe if Redemption Gateway, you individuals in this room, 
stopped and watched people being faithful and selfless and joyful in the process while not having easy road in life whatsoever. Maybe that's what might help us. Like wisdom would be what we need. And as you go to the Bible, where you go to get wisdom, this book of Proverbs, and it's just fascinating. The book of Proverbs is written to kind of train up God's people in the way of wisdom. And Proverbs ends very uniquely. It's like the spotlight turns and it looks at one particular person, an older, joyful, selfless, serving woman. And it says, look at this. Spend time looking at this. And this is what one of the verses says. Proverbs 31 says this, strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. We need to look at these ladies. We need to see these ladies. We need to learn from these ladies. They are the anchor to this place. And in just one man's vantage point, they are the sweetest thing I'm leaving behind as I leave here. And my prayer is that I get some of that in North Mountain. Currently, we're kind of a young bunch. But I want this. She opens her mouth with wisdom. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Ladies, I love you. Those of you watching, some of you can't. I do love you. I love this church a lot. I miss it. Next time I come, hopefully I just get to preach without so much emotion and just get to talk to you from God's word. But I want to leave you with this message, Redemption Gateway. I was praying through how to end this. And I kept reading in Romans that section we're in. And Paul kind of gets at what, I, what I, my prayer is for you over the next 10 years. Last, that's the amount of time I spent here. 10 years from now, Gateway is going to be amazing. More amazing than it is now. If, write this down, memorize it, and meditate on it. Romans 12.10 says this, love one another with a brotherly affection. And outdo one another in showing honor. Let me read it again. Love one another with a brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Gateway, let's outdo one another in showing honor. I love, I love, love, love this place and I'm gonna miss it dearly. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for mentors. God, I see Austin in the back and Dan and just people that are committed to kids, not their own. God, thank you for the young leaders that you have developed here, myself included, and the young leaders you continue to develop through this place that sees it as a priority. God, thank you for just the chapters of my life that were penned here and how significant it is to me as a man, as a husband, as a leader. God, thank you for Luke who would never in a billion years get up and tell people, I've got a great chin. But he does. And he's tough. And it's toughness that's saturated on love. And I thank you for him. God, thank you for these ladies.
Think of the ladies at home, some of them taking care of husbands even, who are just the backbone of this place, the walls and the foundation, and make this place what it is. God, you're watching them. I pray that they would feel your favor on them. They would know that you see them and that you love them. And I pray for this church in particular that we would see them and honor them. And we would outdo one another in showing honor. Jesus, thank you for Gateway. I love you. I love this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.